We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, we find ourselves in a familiar position, the biggest game of the season tonight. We've had a few of those, right? Lower stakes for sure earlier, but uh, certainly not unfamiliar territory. Lakers up 3-2 with the chance to move on to the second round, hopefully in front of a raucous crowd in downtown LA tonight. And I would like to start today's pod previewing this game six on the offensive end of the floor. Uh, I would segment out how Memphis defends the Lakers in two ways. One is when Jared Vanderbilt is on the floor, and then the other is when he's off. When he's on the floor, they play a style of defense where they stay home with all of their other guys. And if Jackson is on the floor, which is the vast majority of Vanderbilt's minutes, Jackson will guard him. And I'm using quotey fingers here, but completely lay off of him. And basically, if anybody gets in trouble, if any of his teammates get in trouble, Jackson is there to defend the rim with the concession of a corner three from Vanderbilt. They're totally willing to give that up. When Vanderbilt is not on the floor, the Grizzlies have switched a lot more. And that's where I want to start, D, is attacking switching. And this, I, I want to bring in a, an idea that Mike brought up in yesterday's pod of this portion of a series is where your superstars really make their money and show who they are. And the basketball circumstance in which superstars on the offensive end in particular really do that is against switches. Teams switch to nullify the action that the opponent is running, right? So defensively, it's going to it's gonna muddy up all of your screens. There are things you can do. You can slip. You can set back screens, go screens, right? There's There are screening uh, techniques against the switching defense. But m- most of the time, and this is usually the Lakers approach, is that it's going to, we're going to look to attack the mismatch. And that's something that my eyes are on LeBron and AD in that respect in this game. And so I'm curious your thoughts on how we attack switching, because I think that Memphis, after game one, found that as a solution and have really been going to it. Yeah, one more thing about the point about switching is that you try to nullify the action in order to deny advantage and make a guy play one-on-one. Yeah. And it's just like, nope, you're not going to be open. 
we want a defender on you. And if that means it's going to be a disadvantageous position in terms of like the quality of defender, they'll do that. Yeah, we'll send help maybe from somewhere else if it's too big of a mismatch, but you'll live with that rather than give up the advantage based on the action. There is a, a sub point I want to make about switching, but I'll make it a little bit later. The two things I think that matter against switches is who is the switched on to defender and how are you going to navigate that with a secondary action in order to try to compromise the switch, right? And so, so give me a specific on that in this in this series. So earlier in the series, what Memphis was doing in terms of switching is, let's say Jaron Jackson Jr. is on Anthony Davis and Dylan Brooks is on LeBron. Right. And LeBron and AD run a screen and roll. Now Jackson is on LeBron and Brooks is on AD. They would then try to throw the ball into AD. But Brooks was trying to front and side, like he was trying to front the post, get in front and basically just shove AD off of the ball as much as he possibly could mm -hmm. and and push his catch further out if he was going to make a catch at all. What AD was doing against the front was he was trying to push up, which is what you're taught to do. Like, oh, you want to stand in front of me? I'm going to push you out farther and in order to create a better passing angle for the ball to go over the top. Right. So then I can catch the ball on the move and get downhill. What the Laker, what Grizz, what the Grizzlies were doing to counter that is that they were throwing a second defender from the weak side and basically crowding AD so that once he caught the ball, mm -hmm. he was getting swarmed. He was getting swarmed from behind with Dylan Brooks and in front of him with that other defender. And he was missing shots. This happened in game two a ton. And AD was like hunting contact that wasn't really there. He was getting his shot blocked and he was creating turnovers. In the last game, Memphis went to a different strategy in that they were pre-switching some and they were putting Brooks on AD earlier in yeah. possessions. And AD was just like, oh, I don't need to do any of this. I'm just going to attack Brooks. And he got off earlier. And so I'm interested in seeing... If there's a counter to that counter from Memphis, first of all, Pete, in, in terms of like attacking the switch, because the Lakers do need to do more flashing from the weak side. If the if the second help defender who leaves early for the over the top pass that I described earlier to crowd AD, if that guy is already lurking in center field some in order to deny the pass, the weak side player has to do something. He can't just stand in the corner. He's got to set a flare screen. He's got to cut to the top of the key. He's got to make himself available in other ways in order to get the Grizzlies defense compromised. Otherwise, you're playing right into Memphis's hands and AD is just going to be swarmed if they go back to that same sort, sort of switching action. So that's the first thing that I would say is like use that pressure against them, which is a point that you've been making. It's like if you're going to devote all of these resources to Anthony Davis, well, then those resources are coming from somewhere. We have to use those other players in order to get into the cracks of the defense and make some things happen. Yeah, a couple things. I first of all think that this is the type of game where the increased energy level just takes care of a lot of stuff that looks like it's going to be schematic and game plan and and you know moving to the right spots. And I think that there's just going to be an energy wave. Uh, so that's that's one thing. 
Darius, you sent out, you sent us something in the text thread about AD post-ups versus LeBron post-ups, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So maybe tell us that, A, and then B, after you reveal it, why are the Lakers not doing more posting up of LeBron? Um, and I have one theory on it, and I think part of it's just that LeBron decides when he wants to do that, and it takes a lot of legs. But uh, can you take us through that? Yeah, and so the abbreviated version is that Le- LeBron's been great in the post, but through five games, the NBA has only logged him as having six post-up possessions. And guess what? Through six post-up possessions, LeBron has scored 12 points. Yeah. If you're unaware, two points per possession is damn near the most you could score on any type of possession. Unless, because he's not posting up at the three-point line and getting three points for post-up possession. But he's only logged six of them, Mike. AD, on the other hand, he's posting up for like 25% of his possessions are post-up possessions. I think he's logged over 30 or 35 through five games, but he's shooting five for 20 on post-up possessions. One quick note on that. Yep. Because I asked Taylor Jenkins about it before game five, and he said that in the first couple games, early in the series, that the Lakers were going more to AD in the post, and then they essentially evolved to, to putting him more in screen roll actions and trying to get him moving and trying to get him downhill, which I think is true. He still has had, you know, he still had some of those possessions in the first couple of games, but that was the shift that Memphis noticed and tried to adjust to in game five. Yeah. And so AD is, I think he's scoring less than 0.6 points per possession. So like an offensive rating of 57 or something like that is not how you he's want to five go for 20 from the field on those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's just played really poorly out of the post, Mike. And, and and so I think that the ratios are off for both players. AD needs to be posting less and LeBron needs to be posting more would be my conclusion based off of those numbers. My concern, and I think I think you're right, Mike, in that idea that, you know, uh, it takes some legs to, to do that. I would argue that it takes less legs than trying to beat your guy off the dribble from the perimeter. But I think one of the other considerations is or jump shooting. If LeBron's in the post, you can't do it with the starting group with Vando and AD not wanting to, to take many threes or jumpers, right? Like there's been a an, an overall thing that's been happening over the course of the last couple of years, but especially with Russ in the fold, like I think it's kind of obscured this a bit, but there's been a degradation in the offensive games of LeBron and AD, particularly after LeBron's come back in uh, uh, this year from, from injury. But in terms of beating a guy one-on-one, that's how, like one of the reasons teams wouldn't switch against us in the past, it's like, oh, we're going to pick our favorite LeBron uh, matchup, our favorite AD matchup. And he's going to kick their ass, Mike, right? And so Dylan Brooks actually has an advantage in the post over AD. AD is bothered by guys that get up underneath him and bump in at him. And when you watch those possessions after the catch, Darius did a great job of describing kind of the events that lead up to it. But when he does get the post catch, it's Brooks bumping him, bumping him. And this isn't me complaining about the refs. This is good physicality, right? And we saw Draymond bother him in a similar type of way. And so this is a big moment of truth game for me, Mike, of can LeBron and AD do it offensively when they get to choose their mismatch? Yeah, that, I think that was my response in the text thread, too, is that are they post-ups, quote-unquote, or are they essentially 20 foot away from the basket post-ups? Because when he's catching the ball against Brooks or even Bain, he's already so far away from the hoop that they're thrilled if he takes that jump shot. And he's basically – has had some level of not serious foul trouble, but at least some level of – worrying about pounding into those guys and seeing them and having them either flop or just draw a foul that way. So he hasn't been backing down all the way, you know, kind of continuing to put them into the lane. And if you ever start, when he starts to do that, that's when they send a second body anyway. 
um, to kind of bother what his dribble might be. So basically th- there's like a red line in, I think so Memphis is sitting in their film room and they're like, all right, so they're going to post AD Brooks. If you're over there or Tillman, or whoever shove his ass out to 20 feet. The second that he exactly. gets within 17, that's when we read it and it's working really well against him. Uh, and like to the point where he didn't struggle like that, I don't think against any defense other than you mentioned Draymond. That was more like Draymond's individual tricks. You know, we, we talk about the low hand versus the high hand uh, when they play the Warriors and, and all that kind of stuff. But I, from an AD perspective, is there an adjustment? And the, well, the Lakers answer to that was to get him moving and to get him yep. in these screen rolls and to try to get him the touches at the top of the key and all that. And the game that he had is his most effective game, which, well, Obviously, 14 for 23 for 31 points is pretty effective. Um, in So that's one thing, game five, I think we should talk about a little bit. But earlier in the series, it was a lot of the kind of catch and go, take the ball up himself, you know, be in the middle of the, of the court and actually take those guys off the dribble before the defense. Because once the Lakers are set into those ISO post-up switch situations, then it's just a program for Memphis. And they're just following a, exactly. an effective game plan that works. And, and so that's where the Lakers are trying to get into these earlier offense type sets with him where where it's not just, oh, he's got the ball here. I go there. And then the Lakers don't have necessarily the personnel to really kill it um, after that action starts. And that's where they get bogged down in the mud until they get a stop and then they can go run out again. So it's like this cycle. Vigorously nodding my head along in agreement on that. Absolutely. It's interesting to me, though, because we talked a lot about switching, but Memphis isn't switching everything because if they were switching everything, we'd see a lot more LeBron in the post. Mm-hmm. Things they're not switching yes. are guard-to-guard actions where LeBron has the ball. And those actions, Pete, they are doing the Steph Curry treatment where teams try to hunt Steph, which is they are showing jaw high and then trying to recover back with the original defender. And I'm wondering what you're seeing on tape in order to beat that because the Lakers have not beaten that once from what I've – like it. That's an exaggeration, but sure. you, but you see what I'm get, getting. I do. At. They are not getting advantage out of that action. It typically ends up with LeBron dribbling in, in the same spot he was after the screen came, uh-huh. with his same defender on him, with six fewer seconds on the shot clock because they tried to navigate this screen action where nothing really materialized. Yeah. So th- that's for one part of the fun of serious basketball is all of these, they did this and then we did that and the back and forth of it and getting to a game six at this, at by this point, like there are still adjustments that are being made, even though I agree with the general point that it's about the dudes that you have and their ability to, to perform. We started a, a little more in this last game running um, screens where it, it, hold on, let me clarify. Does LeBron have the ball in the circumstances that you're, describing yes. so he's as the guard ball handler he is as oh, the yes. guard ball handler and he's calling up whoever jo- whoever is defending job yes and so we've started running more like ghost screen pick and pop type of action and that to me is just the that's what's available there's in simple english they're over committing so many of their resources into the paint that like what is open is the jump shot and this is why and why i've been banging this drum about like our stars got to be able to make jump shots is that if you can 
completely surrender one area of the floor, Mike, and just be like, I'm totally fine with you guys getting an open shot from here. You can take away a lot, even without your two starting, your starting and your backup five, right? You can take away a lot in the paint if there's that unwillingness to pop out to the perimeter, Mike. So that's why I'm so like, we got to make some jump shots, especially our stars. AD's been making some jump shots. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that his shot looks fine. LeBron is not. I mean, he's, well, that's not true. He's making some two-point jump shots, uh, including the one in what, what point of it was it? Was there an overtime one? No, I guess that was earlier in the game. Um, the three-point shot is not coming down. Is not going down for LeBron. No. And you know, now there's a difference tonight. Is he going to take eight and make two? Is he going to take four and make one? It seems like his attempts are always going to be over a certain amount, just because they're leaving him and he's LeBron James, and it's. You know, it's just weird for him to show hesitation out there, but I'm kind of, I'm going to go in the other direction for a second and just say that that's what the defense is giving and that's what they want to do, but you don't have to take that. You don't have to settle for that. And now part of that is that is LeBron. That's what LeBron did to force overtime. And then in overtime, he said, I know you're loaded up against this. I'm still going hard to the rim. Mm -hmm. And I think he's got X amount of those in him uh, for this game. And it's going to be more tonight than it was for game five. Yep. But those are the types of things like th- that LeBron force is still something that no defense, I don't care how loaded up it is, can handle. It's just how many times can he go to it and what is that? And then in other courses of the game, I would say the same thing for AD with a hard, quick drive. The hard, quick. Hell yeah. The Lakers have not been getting those calls earlier in games. But that is the thing. If Dylan Brooks is going to play up on you, the second that you get the ball, just go quickly into him and he's likely going to follow you or you're going to find yourself and yeah. sure Jackson might come over, but that's when, that's when you have to have somebody ready as Darius was saying, not to just be sitting, like having Vanderbilt sitting, waiting in the corner, which doesn't do you any good anyway. I mean, yes, he made a couple in game three, but yeah. anyway, I'm, you guys get it. Well, and even then Vando's really good at, if AD can take two guys with him, even if he misses the shot, that's an easy put back layup a lot of times is, and Vando's really good at timing that and making that corner cut off of that. So yeah, that's exactly it. Go quickly, play with, with some force. Playing with force to me is super important, Pete, and it's not just on the ball force. We talk about LeBron driving with force. We talk about AD posting with force. I'm talking about screening with force. Mm. I'm talking about cutting with force. I'm talking about meeting their action with the appropriate response in action. I've seen Austin try to go and set a screen and David Roddy just stand him up like he's pass blocking. Yep. And I've seen that over and over and over again with a lot of these screen actions, particularly on the guard to big actions. The Lakers like to run to free up AD. Those screens are not working. And one of the reasons they're not working is because the Lakers guards are being out physical. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe that's mm-hmm. a Memphis problem and they're never going to be able to out physical Dylan Brooks or David Roddy or whoever. Bain. Yeah, they're but, very, very strong on the perimeter. But pick up a foul then. Go run through a dude. Like, I'm just saying that you can't continue to like, oh, get manhandled and thrown to the side and fall on the ground and be like, where's my whistle? Right? Right. You see me on the ground Mm -hmm. here. I'm not saying the Lakers are whining or anything like that because we've heard none of that and I've seen none of that. I'm just talking about purely go in there, force the issue because Memphis is forcing the issue on their side and the whistles have been like, Not there. And that's fine. If that's the way the game is going to be called, then meet the moment appropriately. That's my only point with that. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to shift our focus to the defensive end. (laughs) 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Darius, right before we started to record, you were talking about some tweets that you saw on Sam Vecini's timeline in covering the game, specifically uh, how they've been attacking Austin. This is something I've had of a yellow that's turning into a red flag up on since the second half of game four, even though we won game four, they really got Desmond Bain Bain going uh, by attacking Austin. And so what did you see on that? Because I think it's going to be significant in our ability to defend them. Yeah, so shout out to Sam. Sam's great. Um, and he was showing some clips of some things that um, Memphis was doing in order to free up Bain. And Bain has been the guy who I think has elevated Memphis to the point where they are like clearly like in this series even more and feeling confident. In yep. fact, it's Bain the one that's saying, we'll be back here for game six and we'll see you back at home for game seven. And part of that is part of the reason why Bain is the one that's talking now is because Bain's the one who's having the good games, right? And so they are just, and we alluded to this in yesterday's pod, but Memphis is doing a really good job of getting Bain involved in a bunch of screen actions. And it's not just screening for Bain, it's using Bain as a screener and leveraging his shooting ability, very similar to the stuff that Golden State does with Stephen Clay. And so Sam highlighted several of of these plays. But if you go back and watch the tape, as Pete has several times, you'll see this stuff where the Grizzlies are running a lot of screen to screen interactions and they are initiating initial screens with their guards, particularly with Bain. And so Bain will set a down screen for Jaron Jackson. And then Jackson, instead of coming back to, to the ball to open up, will then set another screen for Bain. I call it like a dosey doe screen because these guys almost might as well just be doing a dosey doe with like mm-hmm. their arms, right? And that is freeing up Bain. They are using Spain pick and roll actions where Bain or other guards are after the big sets a screen on the ball, then that shooter is setting a back screen on the player who 
anyways, sorry. I'm losing myself in all of this. It's, <laughs> it's much fun. easier to see on tape. But they're using Bane in a lot of off-ball actions as a screener and then screening for him again in order to get him him open. And Austin is just getting clobbered, man. He is getting killed on a lot of these screen actions. And a, and a four for 13 shooting night, Pete, is indicative of a game where your legs are being sapped. Yep. Yeah. by chasing the other team's runaround guy and getting hit on every defensive possession. It was interesting, too. On, on offense, I thought Austin forced things a lot as well. And so this was a, the same tendency Kobe had. I brought up Game 7, the 2010 Finals sometimes of like – Different players struggle in different ways, and that's Austin's response is to go harder, try harder, press more, press more. But he was actually overpenetrating, had some turnovers, you know, as a result of that. And I, I get it, and I, I appreciate the spirit behind it. But yeah, he's they're really using their physicality to kind of get up into him. That's part of the reason why Mike, you know, Darius is describing all of these off-ball actions, and this guy screened for that guy, and then he did this. It's almost like wide receivers running pass routes in football. And it's like, well, you give the quarterback five seconds to throw the ball and they do all this complicated shit. And then all of a sudden, yeah, somebody's <laughs> going to be open. It's like, how about we sack the quarterback? And that's why to me, Dennis is a really important figure in this game as is Vando's on ball defense. There's a certain amount of like, how about we get up in you and funnel you into Anthony Davis and don't let you do all of that crap that you want to do. And so I think the ball pressure in this game is going to be a, a, an important factor. Yeah, I think that, Darius handled the defensive part of it so comprehensively. Let me just move to, back to Austin on offense for a second. Okay. This in this to and once again invoke Darius. This is to me basically an in-game slotting issue. And mm -hmm. when LeBron James is not attacking as LeBron James typically would, he only took 17 shots. He barely drove into the rim. Most of them were jump shots. When Anthony Davis's actions are all coming in as we discussed, like these pre pre um the plays that they're looking to get to him. Russell is not really capable of beating one of these Memphis defenders off the dribble in the same way that he's going to create an advantage and get downhill into the lane. Dennis took two shots yeah. in 19 minutes and, and didn't really do much. So they're basically looking to say, Hey, Austin, you're, you're the only guy that's actually breaking somebody down off the dribble yeah. with crossovers and is behind the back. And so go, go get us something because everything else here is stuck. And and that's after he's been running ragged on defense, trying to get around like they're you know, he played 40 minutes and they're asking him to do so much more than any two way player um, in I think in NBA history that was then again, quickly and clearly an NBA player and signed out of the roster. But, you know, it sounds like a defensive Austin, but it's really just that's he's great at that when it's not the primary action, when you're not asking him to essentially play like. Um, well, I was thinking of Devin Booker because of his usage. Of course, he plays in a much different way and is, mm -hmm. is more than com comfortable to sort of settle uh, for jump shots, shots and stuff. But I just think that that Austin ends up being there almost like a weird safety valve that would typically be LeBron. Yeah. But LeBron has to conserve, you know, a certain amount. And I think that balance shifts again in game six where, where they go to Austin some, yeah. but not bail out the offense a ton of times because you're the one that can create advantage right now. I think that's a spot on point. It, it does lead to one concern though, that I have that I wonder if you have on any level, Mike, cause I agree that there's the energy is going to be great tonight. And that was going to be true, you know, with the response from guys like LeBron and Dennis and all, and that 
having LeBron in particular slots everybody more appropriately. Do you have any concern about legs and conditioning and things like that? LeBron's coming off of a foot injury, right? That was pretty significant. And we've been playing desperate basketball for a long time. You know what I mean? Like, of there's, course. Yeah. What, to what that, degree that does is, that play in? That's the whole concern. That's the yeah. whole concern. That's the reason why the Lakers are, are in this spot. You know, if it's if LeBron is not in year 20 and hasn't had to exert all of this, then, you know, the Lakers with this current matchup, as good as Memphis is, you know, they I think they play a little better um, in game five. That's the kind of road closeout. Right. That if you have if the bubble like bubble LeBron, that's a road closeout. Yeah. And he's standing and he's doing what Jimmy Butler did in Milwaukee. So but. With in that that is the concern in Game Six, and Memphis's legs are not going to look tired. I don't think so. I just am. It's back to this whole discussion we've had all year, where I think LeBron in this kind of situation will have enough to get it done. But is it going to be pretty the whole time? No. Is Memphis going to make runs? Yes. Is it? Is there going to be some angst in the building? I think yes. But I just, I just uh, get the sense from the team kind of coming back on the plane that. This is the throw everything out there game. Uh, this is, and that's, we haven't talked a ton about this, but a big thing that fixes all of this is by ha- having Anthony Davis on the floor defensively for like 40 yeah. whatever minutes and then having Memphis's offense be in gunk too uh, for most of the time. And then in some of those stops, because the, there is one thing that LeBron can still do very easily for him, like get going downhill in transition yep. and just getting one kind of it. Just that's, it's just a, before the defense is loaded, he is so adept yeah. at using his body in the right way. And and to me, this is why the offense isn't going to just have, there isn't some magical elixir um, at this point. Sure. Making jump shots. That would be great, but you can't, you can't be, you're never guaranteed to make jump shots, that's especially right. in game six and game seven. So the defense and the transition game, it's like you hear coaches say this every game, before the game what's what's the key coach well i mean like because those are some of the variables that you actually can control just with effort and energy and and that's what i'm going to keep falling back on uh, although i think that the it, whenever I do that, I feel like I'm dismissing some of these these larger points. But no, yes, it's, it's <laughs> well, all of it matters, right? Like that's something that if you just have one or the, or the other, you're not going to get to where you want to go. And so that's why my eyes are toward the conditioning and legs and all of that. Darius, do you have a concern on that front? Where are you at in, in that respect? I definitely have a concern, but this is the NBA playoffs and it's going to be mind over matter as much as anything else. Right. And so LeBron... Mike alluded to this earlier, but LeBron took 17 shots the last game and nine of them were three pointers. That's a 53 percent three point, point rate. Yeah. Right. For the for the for the playoffs, LeBron is at a 38.3 percent three point rate. The 2021 season, which only went six games and it was against the Suns. And remember, A.D. went down that series And so then LeBron was stuck on the perimeter so much more because there was no one to sort of occupy DeAndre Ayton, right? And so LeBron's always looking at second defender, never at first defender, right? And so LeBron's three-point rate in that series was 42.1, right? So even higher than this series. Go back the rest of his career, he has never had a three-point rate above 27.9%. 27.9%. Mm, great stat. What do I expect from LeBron James? 
in a game where his legs may not be there, but he has vowed that he will be better? Do I expect him to take 10 threes out of his 20 shots? I don't. Maybe if he makes his first six. <laughs> right. <laughs> like if he's doing an MJ shrug halfway through the first quarter because he's four for five on threes and you see a logo attempt as a heat check and that falls too. Sure, maybe at that point. But I cited his post stats earlier. I think he could get six post possessions this game mm -hmm. after having six all series. Right. So we talked about what they're doing in terms of switching and and they're not switching up high when they bring jaw in to actions. They're not doing all of this other stuff. I expect LeBron to screen more, to be more of a screener in these actions. And after screening, I expect him to go into the post. This has been his bread and butter as an offensive player the last season and a half, when he needs to really take control of the game, he does not take control of the game a la the Heatles or his last Cle Cleveland stint, where it's 1-4, clears everyone out, call up the small guard, let me attack this dude off of the dribble, let me create, no, it's just like, Okay, I'm going to go stand 15 feet from the basket on the right or left wing. I'm going to stand there. No one's going to be able to shove me off of this spot because I'm strong as hell. And I'm just going to catch the ball. I'm going to take two or three dribbles down. And I'm going to either score or draw a foul or make a second defender come. And we're going to get a good shot off of that. And I just expect to see more of that this game. And if we don't, that's how we know that there has been this shift in LeBron's mentality mm -hmm. as much as anything else. This is an elimination game, and it's their last, this is potentially their last home game of the playoffs. If LeBron doesn't go out firing in this game, when is the time? Right? And so that's what I expect. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And, and the way that he decides to go out firing is interesting to me. It makes me think of Jaron Jackson Jr. some, because... LeBron in the post, and one of the reasons why he's still efficient down there is that he's a big enough and also just smart enough to just just take an extra beat in there because he because the shot blocker is going to try to block the shot. So you see LeBron, he'll catch the ball on the interior, he'll pause, and he'll either seal or just wait for him to jump, and then he'll just lay it in. And not many other guys do that, you know. It's just like a, I was thinking about Dennis, like one of the reasons why he got so few shots off. So. To me, that's just Jackson. Like he can, Dennis can get around his guy and get an angle. But then, it, the, I guess the easiest way to describe this, if you ever, if you watch the end, like before Kyrie hits the three, when Golden State and and um, Cleveland could not score, and it's like Steph and Clay were just sort of the uh, they knew LeBron at that point of the game was going to come over at the rim every time they got a foot inside the three point line and started to drive. And so it just becomes this kind of mind game. And, it, and the same thing happens with AD lurking um, to an extent. And unless it's out of a certain set and job, of course, can go even that much higher over the top. But that's where LeBron, LeBron has that. And I just wonder if, if anybody else, you know, can sort of can figure that out inside. But then who would it be? I mean, Rui, Rui's not, Rui's not really slowing down. Rui is a direct line player. He's going straight to the rim. The ball's coming out of his hand. He's not getting in there, stopping, waiting for the up fake. So I guess it just does point back to, I'd like to see LeBron in there with the basketball more and, and have him being the one that is dictating things inside. 
and not trusting the jump shot, which which has been the whole story of his career. And just what are the ways the Lakers can get him down in there? What are the ways that he can get in, in there? Uh, and this is really more half court because we know he can get there in transition. So that to me, uh, I think I've settled on is after hearing you guys break this down for a while is is going to be you know one of the biggest things they can get done offensively. And you know, beyond just offensively, there are multiple ways to win the game, right? He had a 2020 rebound game. I'm, I was just marveling the other day that who does that in year 20 of a Hall of Fame, like Mount Rushmore of basketball type of career has their first anything statistically in year 20 is just bonkers. And it just it speaks to the level that LeBron can process not only the game in front of him, but the series and the overall context. And this worked in game three. And I know I can go back to it when I really need a bucket type of thing, or if it's beyond a bucket that, Hey, I'm going to be matched up with Luke Kennard in this little stretch and he's going to have to box me out so I can get some offensive rebounds. Just understanding all of that on a level. It's been a real privilege to learn from him over the last few years, like watching him really up close and how he does that. I cannot wait to see him in this game to see where that intersects with his declining physical abilities, right? Because at some point that catches up to you, D. And so that's my parting thought, along with if we've learned anything from this season, it's probably going to be very stressful tonight. So just a, a warning to uh, Laker fans that I, I don't know if this is going to be easy, although I think there is going to be that energy wave that, that you were talking about, Mike. Yeah, I'll give you a final thought. Speaking of that level of anxiety and all that, I I just I hate sitting around and waiting all day for these games. And I had to double occupy my mind um, by playing Tecmo Bowl while talking to you guys. Nice. And Pete, just for you, I played with San Francisco. Um, I I drew the Giants and it it I just won forty two to nothing. Nice. So just want to let you know, childhood Pete. Appreciate uh, that. Rice got into the end zone a lot. Craig got in the end zone a lot. Taylor got in. Uh, Wilson was nice in the slot. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of handouts with Craig cause the, you know, defense loads, it's only the one play we, we, uh-huh. we were a passing attack. So we'll, we'll have to, to that. we'll that's ha- how I'm coping. We'll have to play some tech mobile. I'm not going to duck you like Darius did. So. Oh man. So <laughs> I have a party thought as well. Mike just talked about winning 42 to nothing. We just spent a whole damn pod talking about LeBron on, on offense. And I do think that whatever team's offense can get out of the mud, the most is going to be the team that wins. Right. And a stat I'll probably post in my write up for Lakers.com is that the team that has won the three point battle has won four of the five games. Last game, Memphis was scorching from beyond the arc very early. They, they settled down towards the end of the game. But one of these times. For all the talk about offense, it is still going to be about defense. The Lakers need to be a transition team. And in order to be a transition team, they need to get stops. The crowd is going to fuel them. The defense chants are going to be loud. And the Lakers are going to need to get after it on that side of the ball. We talked about them putting Austin through the ringer. They have to slow down some of these screen actions. They have to get up on Bain. They have to track him appropriately. They got to force misses and they got to take it the other way in order to score in transition. It's going to be the way of, it's going to be how this series is won, Pete. It's going to be one on defense. 
defense turning into offense. It's the best version of this Lakers team, and it's been the best version of every LeBron-led Lakers team since he came, and it's what I'm looking for in game six. And perhaps the biggest development in ensuring that for 48 minutes, Darvin was talking about how their main focus in the coaches' meetings was adjusting the rotation. So maybe we get that 40, 42-minute game from Anthony Davis, and the bench groups maybe look a little bit different, and they tighten up that portion of the game, because the starters, the closers, the groups that have AD on the floor have been about 12, 13 points better than Memphis uh, during those stretches. So if if we can tighten that up, I think we'll be in good shape. All right, everyone hang in there tonight. Again, uh, the likelihood of it being stressful is pretty high, so brace yourself. Got the late game, 7.30 local time. We will be back to cover how it went. Probably tomorrow. It's a weekend, so we'll we'll, uh, discuss scheduling, but we'll be back to discuss it. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Missing. Unbelievable. Victory. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.